Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello, everyone. Uh, hi. My name's Sean. I'm a producer here at ACME, and I'd like to welcome you all to Studio One this evening for another session of Talking TV. Uh, Talking TV is our ongoing series of events exploring the small screen. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting tonight, the Wurundjeri people and the people of the Kulin Nations, and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. Uh, now, as part of the Talking TV program, uh, we've previously looked at everything from the Muppets and Twin Peaks to Game of Thrones and Veronica Mars, um, but tonight we're, of course, taking a trip to Broad City. To, yeah, <laughs> to explore one of the funnest, most interesting series to hit television screens in a long while. Uh, we brought together our own group of fun and interesting broads for tonight's talk, uh, and leading them will be this evening's host, writer and editor, Brody Lancaster. Uh, Brody is a staff writer for Rookie, an editor and copywriter at The Good Copy, and a contributor to various print and online publications, including Hello Mister, Senses of Cinema, Smith Journal, The Vine, and 3000. Uh, she's also the creator of Film Fatales, an amazing zine focused on women in cinema, uh, the fifth issue of which has just been launched and I think is available now. Yes. So definitely <laughs> check that, that out. <laughs> um, joining Brody on the couch tonight will be Clementine Ford, Greta Parry, Penny Modra and Stephanie Van Schilt, all of which you'll be introduced to very shortly. Uh, before we get started, though, we are recording tonight for a podcast, so uh, turn off your mobile phones. If you do need to vacate the space at all this evening, it will be done just by this door here. Uh, and also, because we are recording, if you have a question at the end, uh, we have some mics, so please talk into those. Uh, but for now, please join me in welcoming Brody and tonight's panel. Um, so before we get started with Clementine's um, Ode to Broad City, we have a little intro video that I have been struggling to introduce in a way that is not braggy. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> summary, backstory, a friend of mine recommended Broad City when they were doing a web series back in like 2010 and I was editing a website at the time and wrote about it. They ended up writing some pieces for the website and we kept in touch and met up when I went to New York and when I told them what we were doing tonight, they wanted to send a little video for us. So Oh my god. Island too. <laughs> <laughs> what island? Uh, Puerto Rico. 
Clementine Ford, who is a Melbourne... Oh, before we get started, we want to preface this by saying that uh, if you haven't watched the show, we assume that everybody has. So if you haven't, you can't get mad about spoilers or anything like that. <laughs> um, so the way this is going to work is that each of the speakers will do a little presentation and then at the end we're going to come together, have a bit of a discussion and then take questions from the audience. Sorry, Clement, I uh, interrupted my own intro. Um, <laughs> so Clementine Ford is a Melbourne-based writer and social commentator with a specific focus on gender politics and feminism. In 2012, she was voted one of Australia's most influential female voices. More recently, she's been a contributing author to Destroying the Joint, an anthology of essays on feminist activism, and Just Between Us, a collection of essays exploring female friendships. Clementine writes a weekly column for Fairfax's Daily Life. Please welcome Clementine. Yay! I might have to pin that a bit higher up on my jumper. Um, I should preface my talk by saying it's not going to be anywhere near as good as that video, so <laughs> thanks Brody for playing that first. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm, I normally, I've done quite a few of these live in the studios and I normally talk for a very long time and I've slowly over the period of doing them realised that it's probably better for me to talk less and just play more clips. <laughs> so tonight I don't even have any notes, I'm just going to talk through a PowerPoint presentation and play some clips and I hope that that will be satisfactory to everybody. Um, so I assume that everyone is familiar with Broad City but in case you're not, I hope my PowerPoint presentation is going to work. This is the two stars of Broad City and we're going to start by talking about Abby. Um, now I wanted to talk tonight about the friendship between Abby and Alana because I think that that's one of the most standout things obviously about the show, it's the driving force of the show, but also it subverts quite a lot of ideas about female friendship, um, mainly who's going to be the chaser and who's going to be the chasee. In most pop cultural tropes, someone like Alana would probably be considered the cool one who has Abby the sidekick, but in this case, as we'll see, Abby is not very cool. <laughs> as much as I could just watch that gif, gif, gif over and over for hours it's very mesmerising actually it's quite like meditative and she's got a little bit of the Elaine Bennis going on there as well I think so I really appreciate that about Abby Jacobson that she casts herself in situations that aren't particularly flattering for her um, but also that she's the straight character 
She, uh, she schedules in time to masturbate, 7am, um, that post it says, uh, and then later on that evening she'll be enjoying a nice cashew stir fry and finishing the f series one of Damages. Very, very exciting <laughs> night for her. Uh, Alana has different ideas. This is obviously the first episode and she wants to sneak out and go to a, a, a secret Lil Wayne concert. <laughs> um, now, Abby has sometimes been cool in the past. So we learn in the first episode that she once stole a van. And she can be cool again. <laughs> um, she definitely has her moments. Um, this is a good one. This is in the, the wedding episode when they have to go to the, the Dread Pen station. Um, and also, obviously, in the first episode, we also learn that Abby's willing to lie to her boss to get out of work and pretend that she may possibly have AIDS. <laughs> so there's definitely a bad side to her. But I want to talk more really about the way that Alana sees Abby. So this is Alana. Uh, Alana is, I think, someone who, like I personally, when I watch the show, I look at it and I know that I would immediately sign up to be her sidekick. Um, <laughs> how could you not? Like everything that she does is, just seems to be the coolest thing to me ever. She dresses the coolest. She says the coolest, funniest things. She's total slut, and I love that. <laughs> if you can't read that, it says, if God didn't want us to put our fingers in there, then why did she make them perfectly finger-sized? <laughs> you might remember that she's talking about nose, vagina, and butt. Um, Alana also likes to get really, really stoned with Abby. That's the one thing where Abby does kind of get cool. I love how much she adores her. I would follow you into hell, brother. Like, all of the love in this friendship... Obviously, Abby loves Alana as well, but all of the love in this friendship is coming purely from Alana. She says in the final episode that her one great... Like, her, her one true love or her greatest true love is Abby. Um, when Abby realises that she's been having unprotected sex unbeknownst to her because uh, her... Not boyfriend, but the boy she's been sleeping with hasn't been using a condom. Um... Alana says something about how, like, she could get pregnant and says in all seriousness that there are so many dudes out there who are just waiting to lock you down into a pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, really love that about their friendship and the way that they've chosen... I'll change that to there. <laughs> well, maybe I'll just go back to that one for now. The way that they've chosen to explore that as writers on the show, that someone, like I said before, someone like Abby would always be cast as the sidekick there is no room for a woman who is cons as conservative in her own way as Abby is and who's not at all to denigrate Abby Jacobson but who is clearly meant to be the plainer of the two and the less adventurous. Again, in the last episode, she says that she's, she had sex that was slightly better than average and for her that's incredible. <laughs> um, and then Alana's like, I'm just really proud that you had sex more than twice in a week. Um, but everything about the way that Abby, uh, the way that Alana looks at Abby gets the viewers and the audience to look at Abby through her eyes and completely subvert that idea about what the kind of ideal woman in, in female friendships, not, and sort of to an extent as well in romantic pursuits as well, the ideal woman should be because Alana sees Abby as this like beautiful goddess and I don't know whether or not that is something that is just simpatico with, I mean, Amy Pearl has obviously got some influence in the show, but it's, it's very similar to the way that Amy Pearl's character, Leslie Knope, talks about Anne Perkins. Always, and Anne is, 
I mean, Rashida Jones is gorgeous as well, but Anne Perkins is supposed to be a kind of plain, conservative, mm. slightly boring character. But the way that Leslie Nope always talks about her as being like this beautiful, brilliant, stupid, hot, intelligent, yeah. amazing, naive, <laughs> newborn baby, sophisticated <laughs> muskox. Um, and I really like how they're obviously bringing their sensibilities about womanhood and about femininity and about friendship and feminism to this show and doing it in really, really interesting different ways that I probably wouldn't have anticipated when I first started watching this show. I'm just going to that next clip again. Oh. So, yeah, in the first episode, um, we realised that this is kind of like a portent to the dentist scene that we realised that Abby is always trying to involve somehow... Uh, sorry, Alana is always trying to involve Abby in her sexual exploits. Um, the fact that Lincoln doesn't seem to have a problem with this at all, <laughs> I, I think is really hilarious too. Um, and Abby just kind of like rolls with it as well. Like you, you totally get the sense that this is not the first time something like this has happened, that Alana is always trying to do stuff like this. It's not just that Alana's this kind of like outlier when it comes mm. to Abby, that she's got other women fighting over her attention and friendship. And I just really, really love how they put that in there because women like Abby, like I said, don't get the kind of screen time that positions them as the one that everyone wants to hang out with or the one that has the secrets or the one that's like, eh, it wasn't that cool. You wouldn't have really wanted to be there. Mm. Um, so she just adores her. And I know that this is a cast photo. This isn't actually from the show, but... Obviously, the two of them came up through the Upright Citizens Brigade and they, I remember reading an interview with them where they both said that they tried to join improv groups in, uh, in the UCB and no one wanted them to be in their group. So they were just like, oh, well, let's just make something together. Suck shit, guys. Look at them now. Um, so I just want to kind of finish on a few slides before I play the final clip, which just shows, once again, just how beautiful and amazing and wonderful Abby is in Alana's eyes. This is the, the party episode where they're buying the blue dress, which makes an appearance again in the final episode. So I love how you get the idea that it's Abby's only good dress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just as a side note, like I don't want to stray too much into, oh, wow, isn't it amazing that we get to see real women's bodies on TV? Yeah. But um, I guess maybe it's because she doesn't really do... She did a couple of scenes in her underwear... She doesn't really do the kind of nude scenes that Lena Dunham do does. But Abby Jacobson hasn't had that same kind of attention of, wow, isn't it amazing mm -hmm. to see a body like hers, which is so patronising for both actresses. But um, just as a side note, I think that that kind of adds to the, the beauty of Alana, who it fits more into that kind of prototype of desirable womanhood, to see Abby in this like really ecstatic, beautiful light. Mm. Her ass looks incredible. Um, especially loses her at the party. Yes, she's got chocolate brown eyes and the ass of an angel. Um, and that's it. That's my talk. All done. Oh, shit. I skipped that one because I saw that you had that slide. So. Steph's got something on that slide later. I didn't want to ruin it for us. My face is already achy from watching all of that. I'm going to be smiling so hard. Um, thank you, Clem. Uh, our next speaker is Greta Parry. Greta did her honours in cinema studies and masters in editing at Melbourne Uni. She's the editor of Screen Education, a quarterly journal for teachers of screen media, and a sub-editor of Metro, a film, a film and media journal. She takes a lot of photos, hangs out at punk shows, and thinks a lot about sex politics, and one day she would like to combine all three of those things. Please welcome <laughs> Greta.
Um, I don't have any fancy um, PowerPoint slides, <laughs> so you're just going to have to listen to me talk for a while. Um, but I decided when um, I was asked to do this to talk about one of the things that I love the most about this show, which is its depiction of sex, basically. Um, and specifically, um, the depiction of very sexually active single women. Um, and it's, it's, it sort of comes in a long line of shows featuring these sort of single sexually active women. Um, I was reading some stuff online and people are tracing it back to sort of like um, even Lucille Ball with I Love Lucy and Mary Tyler Moore and Murphy Brown and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, how they fit into that sort of history. But mainly I'm going to focus on Alana because while Abby definitely has her moments of amazing sexuality, um, Alana is obviously the <coughs> prominent one in terms of her like sexual bravado and stuff. Um, and she re represents a really interesting and quite a unique version of this character type. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I have a lot of notes and I'm going to try not to talk like too much, but I may because I really love it a lot. Um, so I first want to start by bringing up the obvious comparison, which I really don't like, is um, the comparison that Broad City gets with girls a lot. Um, and I can see why it gets the comparison, but I think it's a really lazy comparison to make. Um, and like there, there are some valid things, but I think it's, it's very gendered and ridiculous that, that the two things are, the two shows, they're so different. Um, and in terms of the depiction of sex, like wildly different. I was watching the first episode of Girls season one the other night just to sort of get a sense of it again, because I hadn't watched it in so long. And that first sex scene in the first episode between Hannah and Adam, he basically just gets her on the couch and instructs her to bend over and like take off all her clothes and... He just, she's so awkward and uncomfortable through the whole thing and just trying to please him the whole time. And I think a lot of the sex in girls is very um, kind of quite awkward and the women are often quite passive and it's often demeaning for them. And um, in the first scene of Broad City, we have Alana video chatting with Abby and then you realise that Lincoln's inside of her just the whole time. And it's like, she's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, and Lincoln's like, hey, Abby, you know. So, I mean, I think that the girl's approach to sex is fine and valid and, and it's got a place, but I just wanted to just get that out of the way straight away, like just not going to be talking about girls anymore because for sex, it's, it's not about that. Instead, Alana and Abby belong to a, that other line of the the sort of really confident, um, really quite sexual and happy to be sexual women. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about two women that spring to mind um, that sort of belong to that history and that I can see in Alana. Um, and there are so many examples that you could, you could bring in, but these two really stand out to me. So the first one, um, if I look at Alana and like the, one of the things I love the most about her is how happy she is to be single. Like she's so happy to be single and sexually active with multiple partners that she gets really quite afraid when Lincoln suggests any kind of further commitment. Um, even in that first scene where, you know, he's like, yeah, so, you know, it's cool, it's cool hanging out and, like, just having sex and that, but, like, you know, what is this? And she's like, yeah, it's just a physical thing. <laughs> you know, that's all it is. That's all she wants. Um, and she just loves it so much. And, and it's, it's difficult not to make comparisons with Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. So I want to talk about that for a little bit because um, she is obviously that character. Samantha is, is a huge landmark in the history of, like, women on television. Um, 
And the way that it align she aligns with the character of Alana is like not only their love of sex, but their enthusiasm for different kinds of sex. So um, both characters are open to group sex when the occasion arises. And as we've seen from Clem's talk, like um, there is, um, Alana has a, a sexual longing for Abby as well. And this is not the only sort of um, bisexual tendencies we get in, in Alana. She also dreams of Rihanna going down on her <laughs> and <laughs> like there's this that amazing scene where she's trying to she's that has a hypothetical question for Abby and she's like who would you rather go down on you Michael Bublé or Janet Jackson <laughs> and it's like the funny thing about the joke isn't even that like it's a woman it's just that it's Michael Bublé and Janet Jackson <laughs> like so like Ilana just has this very open um, approach to her sexual partners and her desires and it's sort of summed up in the line she has about like in three generations everybody's going to be caramel and queer <laughs> so amazing. but like it just sort of sums up her approach to everything so well um, the two characters are also really um, proud of their own and their friends sexual conquests um, so obviously Sex in the City was so much based around them talking about like how much sex they're having and, and being so happy about it and really like Samantha would always be so proud when like Charlotte got laid and stuff like that. Um, and the other thing that's really quite similar between the two of them is that both Samantha and Alana are much, have much stronger connection with their girlfriends than they do with their casual sex partners and so the men definitely come second and we see this all the time in Broad City and in Sex and the City, you know, Samantha, while you could argue that she's not the most sort of friendly among the women, like the whole series was based on the premise of female friendship and even though she's the least touchy-feely of those, it's still definitely the priority and the men are just sort of the secondary fun in her life. Um, and yeah, they can also be really quite detached from their casual sex partners in a way that the other characters tend not to be in the shows. Um, so that's, that's the first character I wanted to talk a little bit about in the similarities with Alana. Um, and the other one is based on Alana's amazing physical comedy. And I know Abby is also an incredible physical comedian, maybe even more so than Alana, but Alana still does have like her amazing moments. Um, and just the fact that she plays this physical comedy to the apparent detriment of her conventional attractiveness, um, but still is so goddamn sexy, like, um, and it just reminds me so much, and especially with the hair of Elaine Bennis, um, like the way they just, they're like such sexually assured women, but they're still like so goofy and remain amazingly hot. Um, and I think... In a lot of ways, I mean, Elaine and Seinfeld, it was going back quite a while now and also it's a very different format because while they're both sitcoms, Seinfeld is something that's, you know, it was, what, G or PG? I don't know, it was like on prime time and not really that explicit. So, but there were things hinted at and I think in a lot of ways, Ilana is kind of like the natural sort of more raunchy um, progression of Elaine. Like, they love sex but they... Um, they have some kind of boundaries, like whether it's ethical or intellectual, like you just can't really cross, um, deal with total deal breakers. Um, so that always reminds me of Elaine, that bit. And I feel like even though for Elaine, the pro-life guy was a relationship deal breaker, if she was in Broad City, it would totally just be the sex deal breaker. Um, and the other thing that is also seen in that clip that has some parallels with Elaine and, and is again, maybe like the adult extension of that is how much they love um, oral sex, like receiving oral sex. 
Um, and that's only hinted at in Seinfeld, but there's that one episode where she starts dating a sax player and Elaine's like, he doesn't do all of the things. And then in the end, she finally gets him to do it and then he can't play his sax anymore. And she's just like, oh no. <laughs> um, but obviously like with the whole Rihanna fantasy and then like the Buble thing and then, then with Tyler and, and then she gets... Ilana also like gets eaten out by the DJ. Like the she, she loves it and like she just embraces it so much. And I think that's really quite important in the show because oral sex for women is such a rare thing on television, and it's such a potent symbol of um, active female sexuality. Um, and so again, aligns with these sort of these two other characters and a lot of other characters as well but these two characters very strongly as like quite a strong statement to be making um so yeah all three of these characters are kind of versions of the unruly woman which is um a coin termed by Kathleen Rowe like decades ago but basically sort of describing women who just refuse to stay within the lines of traditional femininity um so these women are all full of sexual bravado they have hugely inflated to the point of delusion opinions of themselves like they love each they love themselves like so much and can't imagine when people don't I, I mean I love when she's picking up Tyler when Alana is picking up that improv guy in the bar and she's like I've got this I'm, I'm craving pink dick I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with this and she looks around and she's sort of like she makes the faces to the guys and they're like no and she doesn't terrible. care she just like, and she just moves on to the next one and like makes another face yeah. <laughs> so amazing like rejection just doesn't figure in Alana's world like and, and, the and same when she gets Sam. it she's just like mm, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah totally she's like I got it I got this I'm down yeah. um and you know Samantha was the same like no one ever rejected her and if they did you know that was their loss and Elaine can't really imagine people not liking her in a sexual way. Um, yeah, so that's, that's quite a strong theme as well. And they all have a weakness for conventionally gorgeous men and they're willing to objectify them. Like the, the episode of Seinfeld where Elaine starts going out with that guy and Jerry's like, he's a, I can't remember if he says Mimbo or Himbo, but he's like, he's a, okay. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's just this gorgeous guy who's totally dumb. And like the same with um, Tyler, who's obviously like has no talent anywhere but the bedroom. Um, and Samantha had that a lot in Sex and the City, but I think that probably the obvious example is when she first starts seeing Smith and starts sleeping with him and then he tries to, like, start talking about their real lives and she's like, ew, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, she just thinks that he's beautiful and, and all those men are very well built with sort of long, light, brown, blondy hair. So, yeah, they, they have a penchant for the objectifying the, the very beautiful men. Um, so while they're very similar and I think Ilana, again, like, takes from both of those characters as well as many others. There are some really important differences and um, I want to talk about those for a little bit. <clears throat> so with Samantha, the fundamental difference between Samantha and Alana, and it's a really important one, is that Samantha was always defined by sex. She looked like sex, like the way she dressed was always just like, you know, come fuck me, like in an amazing way. Like I, I just want to say also I love Elaine and Samantha so much and admire them. But, you know, she was always, like, Sex and the City was based on caricatures and, and fitting into these sort of categories. And so Samantha was sex. She talked sex all the time. She had sex all the time. Whereas with Alana, it's just like, it's one of several things that are about her personality. She's also a stoner. She's also a total slacker who doesn't do her job and sleeps mm. on the toilet. And, like, you know, <laughs> she, she is also, like, an obviously an incredibly devoted friend. And, I, I mean, Abby is a much bigger deal in her life than, than sex is. So... 
like she's just got this multi-dimensional thing going on which which really separates her from that very caricatured depiction of a sexual woman when we look at Elaine and the differences between her and Elaine um, I guess Ilana's tendency to move outside of the heteronormative sexuality and, and, and venture into like women and, and group sex and stuff like that is at odds with Elaine and I think that again goes back to Seinfeld being quite you know a little while ago and again like PG rated or G rated or whatever it is and also the other thing is throughout as independent and as amazing as Elaine is she does want a partner like that is something that she talks about a bit and you know she always like you know gets down when she loses someone that she really likes or whatever and it's a funny it's in a funny way but she does ultimately want to find a partner like when George gets engaged and she's so jealous because like he's such a loser and why is he engaged before her <laughs> um, so yeah there are some really interesting and important differences between these characters and Alana and possibly one of the most important ones is that the def one of the defining features of Samantha and Elaine was that they were def they were coded as masculine so from the very first episode of Sex in the City Samantha was like I just have sex like a man like that was how she was introduced to the world um, so I'm gonna have sex without feeling and she was described variously like through the series as like a man in a woman's body and like the, the ego of a man and so she was very much like I'm gonna go out and fuck like a man and Elaine was always described as one of the boys there's this um, amazing um, quote from Kramer he says you're a man's woman you hate other women and they hate you <laughs> which is kind of true um, and I think it's very telling that both shows were created and written by men um, and to a greater extent with Sex in the City they were created and written it was largely created and written by gay men and a lot of the critic, critics at the time accused the characters of being gay men in women's bodies um, and I think this was especially leveled at Samantha because she just like was so callous in a lot of ways and just loved to go out and fuck and that was just like a very stereotypical gay man representation um, and I think that that was important that they did that because they were both so revolutionary and so they really had to be quite extreme um, and in the process it abandoned a lot of traditionally feminine qualities um, and I think one of the main things that they've abandoned that Ilana has really retained is this maternal um, love of women so Elaine hates women everyone ha women hate her Samantha has this great line at one point and when Carrie's really worried about um, someone thinking bad things about her and and Samantha says if I worried about what every bitch in New York was saying about me I'd never leave the house like these are not women that other women like in the context of the shows um, and while Ilana definitely has some gender reversal which I think is pretty important as well the fact that Lincoln always is the one that wants to have a full relationship and she's just like no it's just physical um, after she has that first one night stand with Tyler the improv guy she is so worried about Abby the next morning that she gets up and she's like leaving and and she's she she leaves and she's like just close the door behind you and then she puts her head back in and she's like it was Tyler right and he's like yeah yeah, yeah. so it's like this sort of the the traditional male role of being the sort of the player who doesn't really care about the personalities um, objectifies male that um, uh, men sorry the amazing scene at the basketball game that opens mm. the, final <laughs> <laughs> the final episode <laughs> like <laughs> um, 
you know, you can if you train your eyes, you can see their religion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these are all really important things. Like, and the ex-roommate who has a remote control and, like, is totally obsessed with her. And she's like, oh, no, we had bad sex a couple of times. Like, get away from me. Dale. Um, <laughs> Dale. Um, but overall, like, she retains this amazing maternal, nurturing, loving side. And we do see it a bit with Lincoln. Like, you know, that scene at the, um, from the Hurricane episode that you played where Lincoln and her are in Bever's girlfriend's bedroom and they're, like, fighting in the drawers and, like, <laughs> rubbing his dick on the coffee mug and stuff. And they're just having such an amazing time together. <laughs> and um, All for Abby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All for Abby, that's true. Um, but, you know, you can see that um, she obviously really does care for Lincoln. Um, so she still has that sort of that, that sort of maternal, feminine, nurturing side. But, I mean, obviously it comes, it comes through with Abby mostly, like the way she, as you were saying, the way she just adores Abby and would do anything for her. And, you know, there's that female bond that was missing in a lot of the other examples of, of really sexually active women. Um, and also she just loves herself so much and it's, with, it's so like carefree and joyous that other people can't help but love her and she's in that way lovable in a way that the, others, the other characters kind of weren't before her. Um, so basically my conclusion about Ilana is that she's kind of like a new and improved model of the sexually active character, the female character. So she's got some qualities of the old and some new qualities Mm, primarily among these is that she doesn't ever receive judgment for her sexual promiscuity. Um, sort of, Elaine always had the comments from the guys like that she was easy, the throwaway jokes about how she slept with a lot of guys and when she tries, she gets the whole case of today sponges and the pharmacist is like. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and Samantha gets it from Charlotte a lot and even Carrie in one episode. Um, but Alana never really, we don't see it and it'll be interesting to see if she ever does face any kind of judgment or like narrative punishment for her actions um, but you know if anything like Abby is shocked sometimes by her sexual um, endeavours but delighted shock kind of like she loves it as well like they just adore each other so much um, and Ilana her behaviour is never painted as irresponsible either like and her outrage when Abby didn't use a condom like you were saying I mean this is she's having responsible consensual incredible like sex and and it's and it's never vilified at all throughout the first season um the the other thing like she's always on top if you notice unless she's like having a guy go down on her like she's always the one that's sort of on top and in control and that's something that's I think whether it's intentional or not like it makes quite a strong statement and she even like like she's a modern day sex girl she has like a burner phone for sex media <laughs> oh, amazing <laughs> Dick pics and, you know, general sex media. <laughs> <laughs> late 20s. Late 20s, late 20s. Um, the other one last thing that I wanted to point out is that, which it almost goes without um, even noticing it. And I think this is so great that it does. So the, the episode that we saw clips from where she has sex with Tyler twice, <coughs> later that day, um, when Lincoln was so worried about Abby that he baked a whole cake and then ate a whole cake. <laughs> She's like, well, you know, I've baked another one. <laughs> I've baked another one, like, you can come over and eat it or we can just put our faces in it. And so she goes over that night to Lincoln's house and they put their faces in the cake and, like, one can only assume they go on and have sex. And it's like, so she'd, she'd like, had sex with two guys in one day and, and in one episode, more to the point. And I think that that is really new. And the fact that no attention, there wasn't anything said about it, 
it, it wasn't a big deal at all in the context of the show. It's just who she is and it's celebrated. And I think that is so wonderful. And um, there's this, like the line where um, she and Abby are looking on Facebook and like trying to um, find out, like they're asking out all these <laughs> guys and one girl on Facebook <laughs> and getting rejected. But like in the, in the process of asking, like Abby gets so, so much adrenaline and she's like, we're feminist heroes right now. <laughs> and I think that's kind of really valid and if, I mean you know I guess arguments could be made that there are some drawbacks as well but if not feminist then like sexual heroes like Alana is amazing and that is my ode to Alana. <laughs> um, we have so much that we want to talk about so I'm just going to go straight to Steph. Um, Stephanie Van Schilt is our next speaker. She's the deputy editor of The Lifted Brow the co-host of the podcast The Re-Readers and the TV columnist at Kill Your Darlings. Her writing's been featured in publications including Crikey, Junkie and The Big Issue. She's currently completing an MA in creative writing with a focus on television criticism. Please welcome Steph. <laughs> um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> Um, and also I'm just going to read a little bit and then we can play. Uh, there's nothing better than getting a form of comedy, like really getting it. It gives you a full body sense of tingling joy in the knowingness. There's something to be said for pow the power enabled by this inclusivity, by the conjoint sense of humour, of being a, a part of a collective laugh, whether it's along with a TV show or among your friends. I imagine it's the same sensation like the warm, trusting, secret hug a vagina can offer a bag of weed. <laughs> Broad City offers this inclusivity for me. The identification is very high. Abby and Alana, both characters and performers, trade in comically crass and physically abject tradition that existed on the sidelines, beloved long before the literal shit hit the streets in Bridesmaid or Lena Dunham in, uh, got her quote-unquote imperfect tits out on TV and everyone freaked out about it. But Broad City has helped further the conversation about filthy female humour and codependent female friendship and love, and it makes me so happy. Look, I stamped my little emoji happies all over it. <laughs> what makes me less happy is, remember this guy, Christopher Hitchens? Yeah, he's dead now, but I defaced him a little bit. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. yeah. Uh, he came out all douchey and was like, women aren't funny, no lols. Well, no to him, we say. <laughs> In her considered retort to Hitchens' bombastic sexism, Alessandra Stanley wrote back that women in comedy are made to compete or subvert the form in order to make themselves likeable or appealing to audiences because there's a tacitly accepted gap between male and female comedy. Even now, half a decade after these specific arguments were printed, there are acknowledged kings of gross out or crude dude humour and accepted forms of masculine bo comedy, both physical and sexual, driving endless Hollywood vehicles or countless TV programs. Meanwhile, as Stanley contended back in 2007, while female comedians are prevalent and popular, there are still limits to how high a female comedian can climb before they reach what she dubbed the crass ceiling. But we are getting there, ladies, and thanks to the likes of Broad City, the, the, <laughs> the crass ceiling is crashing down around the, um, I don't know, maybe pickle walls? I don't know what the saying is either, Alana. Aristotle noted that, yeah, I know, right? Old dead white guys. Comedy aims at representing men as worse than what they are in life. Yes, it's true, exaggeration is key. But for women in crass comedy, it's almost ownership of how they actually are in life, that they have human bodies and pump and dump like everyone else, and that drives the humour. Crass female humour is about self-acceptance and putting yourself on the line. 
honestly to the point of humiliation. Broads aren't riding side saddle through Brooklyn or clutching their pearls anymore. They're excreting, cussing and gyrating whether people like it or not. So why can't we joke about it? The good thing is we, meaning the mainstream bob blob of pop culture consumers, do seem to love it. And we love, love, love Abby and Alana. Essentially, from <laughs> Broad City's humble beginnings as a web series, Abby and Alana started from the bottom, now they're here, leading the crass humour conversation because they're more than happy to head back to the bottom and they're fucking hilarious at it. After all, it's 2014 and anal is definitely on the table. <laughs> the public nature of this form of crass humour or female comedic self-expression means that humiliation brings the viewer like communally into the, the conversation. Viewers are drawn closer to the characters. They get the jokes by embracing the experience and in some case, like my own, and I'm pretty sure a few of you here, identifying with it. Crass female comedic actors or, or stand-up performers put themselves on display and they push back on the standardised expectations of them, which intrinsically helps the viewers understand their abjection better. This is all about owning and appropriating self-mortification. The funny women working in this tradition, which is continued and serialised by Broad City, project their, present their abject physicality and sexuality without fear and purpose. Female comedians have been bringing filthy yucks, come on mate, um, on the regular for years, um, but they've been performing on the cultural fringes. Abby and Alana have specifically pinpointed a few influences, including the fellow foul-mouthed, frizzy-haired Jewess Gilda Radner, an original SNL cast member. Sadly, uh, Radner's career and life was cut short, but she's left quite a funny, filthy legacy from her 16 years in the entertainment industry that included a stint on Broadway. Um, Google her if you don't know her, you'll have a blast. <laughs> and there are many notable, cute, crude female comedic performances who are household names. Uh, from the likes of Joan, I'm posting that without comment, um, Rivers, uh, who recently sadly passed away, or the likes of uh, Roseanne, who they've also referred to directly <laughs> on the show. Yeah, she knows it. Uh, to the likes of Amy Schumer or Janine Garofalo. Uh, you may recall that Garofalo guest starred on Broad City as the human hemorrhoid treating vet, one of the many influential crude female comics who helped populate Abby and Alana's world. But my personal favourite guest star was Amy Sedaris, uh, who takes crude and offensive to the next level in the criminally underrated Strangers with Candy, a Comedy Central show that ran for 30 very dirty episodes, each serving fistfuls of filth over half an hour slots in the late 90s. And I think this fabulous gift speaks for itself as does this one. Look what I made. <laughs> um, women can be gross and people just got to learn to deal with it. Each of these comedians and so many others not mentioned here across their wide and varied careers or distinct shows have shared crass sensibilities stemming from their fearless acknowledgement of their vaginas, spreading right to their attitudes that say, go fuck yourself social taboos. And although sharing traits and a crew tradition, these women are more than an amorphous universal culture producing blob I think as you just explored then, there are similarities, but they are different. There are differences, but that doesn't mean they need to compete like a lot of the conversations critically um, happen. They're not antagonistic forces, even though many, many competing dialogues would lead audiences to believe it. Certain shows or comedians can be united in their gender or sexual politics, their focus on female friendships or on similar, not the same demographics, but they do not depict a singular universal experience. They undermine standard gender roles in idiosyncratic ways because, contrary to popular belief, women are capable of doing this. 
they are capable of shared and diverse voices, comedic or otherwise. It's vitally important to acknowledge that these comedians varied uh, with their very filthy or abject female-led comedies can coexist without being cannibalizing forces. They don't need to be put up against each other in a game of who did it better, like what happened between Girls and Broad City when it came out, which really irked me as well. Uh, but I don't want to get ranty or more ranty. So in the spirit of non-competition, I want to celebrate uh, female crass humor with kind of a competition. Um, it's a little bit of a quiz and you all can get involved. There are no prizes and most of the answers have already been uh, given away, but <laughs> essentially I ran out of an, an, a name, a time to make a name, so if you can think of a four-letter word that's appropriate for this evening, feel free to shout it out. Anyway, if you're gagging to yell out the answer, maybe shout it out or put your hands out, but what really it is is just a bunch of quotable one-liners or funny words thrown together and you can decide via the multiple choice which one is Broad City. Round one, holes. <laughs> A, I like the pole and the hole, and right now I'm as moist as a snack cake down there. B, if God didn't want us to put our fingers up there, why did she make them all perfectly finger-sized? C, front, back, who cares, a hole is a hole. And if my vagina shut up, <laughs> shut like a steel trap, I mean, thank God for the other hole. Does, <laughs> well, I guess we all... Which one's broad C? It's B. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah. true. The others are A with strangers with candy. Oh, that's Front so back, who cares? A hole is a hole is Samantha from Sex and the City. And the final one was Amy Schumer. Oh. So she's making a good like, point, I've though. I've heard all of these somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that much? Wow. It's all about the holes. <laughs> Round two, substances. Don't do drugs. It's like I have no memories, man. I can't remember a thing. I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's scary. I'm missing hundreds of pairs of underwear. Literally hundreds. <laughs> B, look all I'm saying is if you want to smoke pot, then be prepared to spend a lot of time laughing with your friends. Or C, I'm dealing with this the same way I dealt with my alcoholism and drug addiction, with lies and delusion. A. Yay. The other two are strangers with candy. Oh. The praise, prizes is the fame of knowing you know. Yeah, totally. Pretty sure we're yeah. all missing memories and underwear. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Round three, everyday heroines. A, I'm so amazing. If I ever get up off this couch, I'll be unstoppable. <laughs> B, you're my heroine. And by heroine, I mean lady hero. I don't want to inject you and listen to jazz. C, you can be rich in family or friends or love, but the only thing that matters is being rich in money. Or D, I'm an adult and I'm responsible. D. Is it D? It is D. B is Liz Lemon. Yeah, the rest of it was... A was Roseanne. If she ever gets up off the couch, she'll be unstoppable. I'm pretty sure she was. B was Liz Lemon on 30 Rock, and C was Strangers with Candy again. So good. Four, Pretty Hurts. Listen up, vibes, a 10 is speaking. B, you know what's cool about this party? We're the sexiest girls here. Because we have, like, the fattest asses, you know? We're the most fuckable. C, don't feel bad for me, I think I'm so pretty. Or D, what are you joking? I don't think that I'm what the boys consider a traditional beauty. B. Yeah, that's also a good one. So, A is... <laughs> a was Jenna from 30 Rock. C was Amy Schumer again. And D was Strangers with Candy. Damn, they're right. Look at that ass. <laughs> Control. A, don't worry, I can't get pregnant, my ovaries are diseased. 
B, if birth control fixes fixed boners, then you'd get it for free with your driver's license. C, from now on, you'll be sending me a picture of every dick that you are to host wearing a condom. <laughs> D, sorry, C. D, if you pretend you want to use a condom, be all like, you're going to have to wear this, I've had a busy month. <laughs> C, C. That's C. true. Everyone knows. Uh, first was Strange with Candy, second was Liz Lemon again, and third was Amy Schumer. <laughs> Which of these is featured in Broad City? Me. Shark farts, poop ninja, blood fart, or all of the above? Oh, B. What, what's the consensus here? I don't know. D? Incorrect. It is B. And that was just a chance for me to draw a poop. Okay? There, was no, there was no blood fart in Broad City. No, blood fart was an insult that... Uh, Jerry Blank calls her stepbrother. Good insult though. Like it's pretty well. Shark farts with Liz Lemon. Yeah. Um, okay, and now for a bonus humiliation round. Shout out the Who Am I? I was out for drinks with a good friend when I had to go to the bathroom. I, I, sorry. Oh, no? Sorry, I, I interrupted. I shouldn't say anything. No, it was a total shock when I know I, I went and a condom fell out. I peed and a condom that had been in my body for roughly 72 oh, hours. Oh. <laughs> Abby. Wrong Abby. guys, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> the catch on that one is that oh Abby God. was out for dinner. I was out for drinks. <laughs> so, oh A.B. Ryder, who thought that storyline was an urban myth, you are incredibly wrong. Oh. So, Abby, Abby had a dinner for four days. Well, not the, three. Well, yeah. Four days. <laughs> Semantics. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, shit. Yes. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm just picturing your mother listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> You've been talking. No, she'd be like, oh, it's so good she's having sex, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, let my humiliation be your pride. Oh As God. I continue and reveal what identification factors I have with Broad City. Yes, my best friend has Skyped me from a blue room and overshared while still maybe I'm warm. In turn, I have scheduled time with my vibrator in my diary. I've eaten garbage bagels, got caricatures drawn of, me, drawn of me while I wander the streets with my friends in my 20s. And I've said I'm short and can't speak English good. <laughs> I've exactly their world map shower curtain and have definitely walked into a party and proclaimed to my friend... We are the hottest bitches here before we take over with some 90s R&B. And maybe one of us goes home with a DJ, but who could remember? I've not been able to poop during a New York City hurricane because of sharing a small space with someone in particular in this room. <laughs> and I, I have definitely, definitely stormed off in a friend muttering the, muttering the line, I just want to go home and watch my shows. I've also definitely gash flashed while riding my bike. You are welcome, Brunswick Street. And maybe, maybe, just maybe this one is true as well. But I've told you all of these humiliating creep things and I may no longer be employable, invited to a family dinner, or back to acne again, but it was totally worth it because humiliating yourself for humour is totally worth it and I really hope the Broad City Girls continue the tradition and extend it further. Thank you. I'm so amazed. I'm in shock. <laughs> and impressed in an impressive, oh, in an impressed way. Let's um, <laughs> need a second. Okay. No, Our final speaker is Penny Modra, um, 
who is right here. Penny is the editorial director at The Good Copy, um, a Melbourne-based writing studio and publisher. Um, she spent seven years before this as the editor of 3000 and as editorial director of the Thousand City Guides nationally. As a freelance writer, Penny has written visual weekly art columns for The Age and The Sunday Age. She was co-founder of Melbourne's experimental poster publishing project, Is Not Magazine, um, and she is obsessed with The Mentalist. Uh, please welcome <laughs> Penny. I know. Thank you, Brody. You're welcome. Um, uh, I wanted to... I think mine's a little bit um, clip-based, like Clem's. Um, I wanted to... Basically, I think you guys can decide if this is a thing. The question I pose is, is this a thing? <laughs> if it is, feel free to please take it and pitch it to some editor or something, because this is a half-formed feature idea. <laughs> but hopefully we can discuss it. Um, so I was reading the New York Times. I had one free article left <laughs> yesterday. Um, and there was an article entitled, Funny, Kooky and Short on the Net. That is so New York Times, by the way, the on the net. <laughs> um, and it was all about how the comedy web series format is now big business and the kind of leading fact that they... Um, so, of course, the Times wrote about it in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's big business, Brody. It was on okay. the New York Times yesterday. Got it. Um, so this year, Disney paid $500 million, I think, for like a web series um, startup, which is now no longer a startup, called Maker Studios. And I don't, I'm not really a huge fan of this. It's almost a dollar value that's significant. Um, they, these guys are known for making a web series called Epic Rap Battles of History. Does anyone know of that? No, I don't think it's my thing. Anyway, <laughs> the point is that it's big business. And, it, and I think I sort of thought, okay, well, that's a thinking point. Like, people are now interested in paying heaps of money for this stuff. Um, but what I'm more interested in is what sort of... Um, commercial TV product it turns into because I think that the comedy web series turns into better TV than we've grown up with. That's my theory, which you can try to knock down, but I will try to defend here. Um, I think one example of which is just the, f the fact of not too much positioning. Like a comedy web series is very short by necessity, probably because of budget, but also because of like generation-wise time, or like attention span. Um, they're short, and I guess it's just got a, they've all got a vibe of like, you'll figure it out. You know, and Drunk History even shocked me when it came out. Mm. Like I was like, oh, I get it, I get it. You sort of get it straight away. It's like, mm. they don't spend any time going, okay, this person's drunk a lot for like four hours, and now they're just gonna tell you a history. They just segue straight into this drunk person relating a history inappropriately. And we get it, and I sort of love that they expect you to get it, and it's totally fine. Um, and I suppose the apotheosis of this is Vine, which I am like, I just get so much joy from Vine. <laughs> like I can't describe, I can, the only way I can describe my joy from of Vine, and this is like Generation X talking. Like I've watched like four Vines. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I, that's less than half yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I just love the first Vine I saw was um, my best friend Porkchop, who's in the audience. He made a Vine, and it was outside the Messina on Smith Street. Does everyone know that? It's the gelati place. And it's just like fantastic. It's like six seconds, is that right? And it's just yeah. shot of the queue, shot of the queue, shot of cards going past, shot of the queue. And then it's like him and it's a close up and he goes, it's just ice cream, people. <laughs> he like shouts out. And then it's like, 
Anyway, and I was just like, oh my God, wow. So much has been conveyed to me in that six seconds. And it's like, I'm just, anyway. So, I just, shortness, shortness. Um, and then an exceptional offshoot of this kind of short format, which is flourishing, is the highly developed side character, which I, that's, and that's my, I, when I was thinking about the one thing I love about Board City is the highly developed side characters. That's what stands out to me the most. And what I mean is that they, uh, these people appear from nowhere with no context at all and they're given no history or build up or um, at no character development and yet you know them. Mm. Um, and I just think that's like a really artful um, kind of, I don't know, is it new? I feel like it's new because when you think back to TV, like honestly, just think about Mork and Mindy, which is back on TV now, um, thanks to Robin Williams. Um, and it's like, that c character Mork would now just be like a highly developed side character in Broad City. Mm. It wouldn't be a whole show, yeah. <laughs> like this juvenile well, like, guy that lives in an attic. Seinfeld, yeah. spend a few minutes first yeah. talking about him before you actually meet That's correct, him. yeah. Anyway, um, or you wouldn't, and you know, anyway. So I just wanted to, um, so I guess my proposal is that Broad City is sort of a crossover of two great forms, and that is YouTube and the short format web series and improv comedy in a theatre context, because, um, and then three, short attention spans. Um, so, um, because as um, Clem, I think, mentioned in her talk, Abby and Alana both come from a background at, in the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre, which is based in New York City, which is an improv kind of sketch comedy stand-up club, I guess. You've got to be part of the club. They run a seven nights a week, like, short comedy um, live theatre venue. Um, and Maybe they were making fun of... You know, you know how I said that they, um, they weren't allowed into any of the cliques at UCB? And then when yes. they did that improv section, maybe know, they were making fun that, of I was like, there's more to this story. <laughs> that was shot That's at right. UCB. They did perform was at it? UCB, yeah. Yeah, but they, ha they certainly are part of it. And Amy um, Polo, how do you pronounce her name? Polo. You have Polo? 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 Amy. Yeah. I say she, Amy Polo. Well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise how you pronounced it, but she has a really great interview with Abby and Alana that was on her Smart Girls series, <coughs> subtitle, Changing the World by Being Themselves, which I love. Um, and she talks, she's one of the founders of Upright Citizens Brigade and she talks about their time there. So I think that they weren't necessarily total outcasts. Um, but if you look at improv theatre, and I know that it gets a bad rap in Broad City, but it, um, in particular Upright Citizens Brigade is based on the teachings of this guy, Del Close, who wrote Truth and Comedy. Mm -hmm. um, and those teachings emphasise um, the game of the scene, which I love, and also the idea of introducing tangential information in throwaway lines. Um, and Tina Fey has a great quote about this Del Close culture in Bossy Pants, which I will read to you because I love it. You probably already, you all so know Del the quote. Del Close, for you guys who don't know, was one of the founders of the Second City, which was the Chicago Improv Theatre where Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and Bill Murray and like that OG generation trained at. And then once Amy Poehler picked up the skills from Del Close, mm. who was like a total misogynist, like hated women, was like whatever really? women in comedy, like <laughs> fuck off. And then Amy Poehler learned everything he had to teach, went to Upright Citizens Brigade, right. which was her comedy team with three other guys, founded the theatre in New York and 
that kind of like community element where she was like none of that stuff they oh. took like the improv stuff okay so that's just background stuff. info and so t- what tina fey says would be relevant to to amy poehler's take on Del Clerk. I imagine. Anyway, so yes. So I don't Gina know what the says in Body Glossy Pants, she talks about the rules of improvisation and she says, the first rule of improvisation is agree. Always say yes. When you're improvising, this means you're required to agree with whatever your partner has created. So if we're improvising, I say, freeze, I have a gun. And you say, that's not a gun, it's your finger. You're pointing your finger at me. Our improvised scene has ground to a halt. But if I say, freeze, I have a gun. And you say, freeze oh wait and you say the gun i gave you for christmas (laughs) then we have started a scene because we have agreed that my finger is in fact a christmas gun (laughs) (laughs) she says now obviously in real life you're not always going to agree with everything everyone says but the rule of agreement reminds you to respect what your partner has created and to at least start from an open-minded place Start with a yes and see where that takes you. That is so cheesy, but my God, that is a good life advice. Can we all please remember it? As an improviser, I always find it jarring when I meet someone in real life whose first answer is no. No, we can't do that. No, that's not in the budget. No, I will not hold your hand for a dollar. What kind of way (laughs) is that to live? The second rule of improvisation (coughs) is not only to say yes, but yes and... You are supposed to agree and then add something of your own. If I start a scene with, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you just say, yeah, we're kind of... And you just say, yeah. We're kind of at a standstill. Um, But if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, what did you expect? We're in hell. Or if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, yes, this can't be good for the wax figures. (laughs) That's good. Or if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, I told you we shouldn't have crawled into this dog's mouth. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, yes and means don't be afraid to contribute. It's your responsibility to contribute. Always make sure you're adding something to the discussion. Your initiations are worthwhile, Mm -hmm. which I love. Um, And I suppose um, this sort of concludes my theory that Broadsea is a crossover of 2.5 great forms. Um, But uh, getting back to the tangential side characters, um, I think Amy Sedaris who I don't know is... Is she a member of this Upright Citizens Brigade? She trained at Second... She was, like, with, like, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell, like, early team. You're like the David Foster Wallace of improv theatre. I read Del Close's book. Okay. Can I just interrupt very, very quickly? I'm really sorry. It's just a really great story about Amy Sedaris. Please sorry. going to talk about her. I don't know if anyone's read a lot of David Sedaris's books, but he does write quite frequently about his sister Amy. And he tells a story about being at home for Christmas one year with their father after their mother has died. And their father is quite concerned about Amy being unmarried and um, has quite, like, for for as lovingly as he paints him, he's got these quite conservative ideas about how women should look. So Amy (laughs) knows this and she comes home one year in a fat suit. (laughs) But she's only able to afford to buy the bottom half of the fat suit. (laughs) She, the reason she wears the fat suit is because she wants her father to be like deeply uncomfortable about the fact that his daughter is fat and, and he has so much problem, so many problems with that. But she's just kind of like spends the whole week just sort of casually walking around and taking great pleasure and like standing in front of the fridge. And he's like, "Do you think you need that, Amy?" I love it. I just love so that like, she 
perfect introduction because yeah. I felt like Amy Sedaris epitomised this kind of theory of mine, which is that Broad City embraces the highly developed and is perhaps mm. the best platform that I've ever seen for the highly developed side character and the kind of like non-sequitur um, throwaway line, I guess. Um, and she actually did an interview on the Boston Globe recently talking about working on Broad City, but she said, I like to have a character that is humorous on some level, but yet what she is saying isn't funny to her. <laughs> Which is exactly yeah. what she does, and I love that. And, and um, anyway, I think, I feel like um, she's an example because she comes so late in the series. She appears in, I think it's episode eight, Apartment Hunters. Um, and she's a <laughs> rental broker. Um, but I, I think that she proves my point, which is that the less explained the side characters are in this series, the funnier yeah. they are. Like, I've shown this show to my, to my boyfriend and my friends, and you'll show them the first episode, and they're like, oh, it's all right. But if you, like, drop them in at, like, Destination Wedding or Apartment <laughs> Hunters, they are, a, like, they're completely converted. Yeah. And it's because by that stage, the show is taking so much more risks and just allowing these people to just do whatever the fuck they want, which they've been doing with Lincoln from the start, but I think they really let loose towards the end. Yeah. I just, I want to explore some other highly developed side characters and maybe we could do it as an exercise like and I'll just propose a side character to you and you could yell out all the things that we know about them. So I'll start. All right, let's talk about um, Kevin, the catering worker that attends the wedding with <laughs> Abby and Alana in episode oh, eight. Yeah, Kevin, played by Todd Allen Crane. We know that he went to Nicaragua for mouth scaffolding. Um, we know that he is an ex-catering worker, possibly still a catering worker. He's just got out of jail. We know that and he's it, gay after the awkward conversation. He's gay. <laughs> we know that. And Which also after he'd been sniffing amel for the entire <laughs> episode, <laughs> he had to, so Lincoln had to say it. That we know <laughs> about. And did I say yeah. <laughs> Also that he's obsessed, he, he's a gossip. Mm -hmm. And he's obsessed with story, like gossip stories that relate to someone's untimely death via drug overdose, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Anyway, can we play the clip of Kevin, please? So we run out of time. That was a fun exercise. It was good. Does anyone have anything else to add while we're loading the clip? What about else do we know Kevin? about Kevin? I did throw out a lot of facts. You did. He has sex with who? He has sex at weddings. Yes. He just that's just a thing for him. He knows that he's going to pick up. So ready. Yeah, he's so confident. <laughs> he's in so much ammo. <laughs> <laughs> he stole a bike. He stole a bike, but he can't go back to jail. He can't. <laughs> One more challenge. Jamie, played by Arturo. Jame. Jame. Is that's that how you say it? As, well, that's what Alana calls him. He's the drug dealer. But she also calls her vagina a vanyanya. A vanyanya. <laughs> um, so, I like... How do you say it? Just say Jamie. He's Jamie. Fine. <laughs> because he's, you sort of think, okay, he's a drug dealer, so he's going to be really cool, and you know, but actually, he's completely—he's the word I'd use to describe him is unproblematic. He's like completely irony, ironyless, and he accepts every situation as it comes, and he's so grateful to be there. He's so incredibly earnest, you know. And you know, what else do we know about him? That his ambition is to become a citizen of the United States, so that yeah. he can pay tax, so that he can afford to fund like the police, police uniforms. <laughs> That he's like, and you know, and also in the episode, what I love, especially in the Cyclone Wonder episode, is as the episode evolved, you sort of begin to understand that he really believes that they're going to die. Mm. He's not faking that. Mm. He's kind of come to terms with it too. He's so far ahead of mm. them, you know, and he's kind of tying up all his loose ends and apologising. He's just so, anyway, what else do we know about Jane? He really well, values, he uh, like, um, stationery. 
mm. like he'll swap weed for yeah. like well, $130. We, yeah. But the second time we meet him after that is when he orders like six pizzas for Alana <laughs> and gives them the stationary card. It's just, <gasps> and then Alana's just like, so messy on the floor oh. of the bathroom and he just brings her a pizza and brings her Abby on Skype and is like, you've got he it. He is so great. He's like <laughs> the totally opposite of how you do. By that. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's She's yeah. vomiting in the toilet. He's the Skype. He's yeah. so great. This is maybe the one of the most mysterious ones, but one of my favourites. Rachel Dratch's oh. temp agency lady. <laughs> who I probably identify more with anyone in the whole series. Yeah. I mean, what do we know about her? Everything we know about her I identify with. Like She's she, too trusting. Well, she's too trusting, but at the same time, she's a control freak. We know yeah. that. Because she's so conservative with her hairstyles. Mm -hmm. Like, she wants to be out there with her hair, but she'll always kind of pull back when she goes to the salon. And then she ends up with something that's kind of, and then the one time that she tries to get a good hairstyle, it goes wrong. And she has to, and she has to hire Abby, no, Alana, to run the temp agency. Um, what else do we know about her? She's trying so hard to create a community at the temp agency as well, because she's got this like chocolate competition running, we have to count the number of chocolates in the, in the bowl. It's like, who even comes here? Yeah. Like, she wants people to like her so much. She gave and all her like, temps food poisoning because they went oh, to the yes. sushi The place sushi place and and station. Which I mentioned so many times. She's just holding it together. It's good sushi. God, she's so desperate. <laughs> one side character that I love is one that you don't even hear talk, really, and it's Morgan's brother. Yeah. But you've got this image of him as this awful like yoga instructor who's really aware of his own powers or at least in his own mind. Yeah, don't they end up he, in the yeah, bath? He goes yeah. down on her and oh, oh, God, yeah, yeah, that's gives right. her a message from mum and then she's dad. like, you're so much like your dad, our dad. Oh, oh Morgan. I know, I know. And then I, I suppose that the other category, apart from him who's like a secondary, secondary character but is so kind of vi viscerally irritating, um, is the is and I don't know the name of the actress, but the actress who accidentally takes um, Abby's phone. Oh, oh gosh, she is. I wrote a amazing. note to talk about the phone girl because she's she so great. She is incredible, and everything about like this. It's she's so abstract. There's not a lot of conclusions you can draw about her other than she's a tourist in New York. Central Park. She, she's so <laughs> confusing, and she's like, I, and I love the way she says, "I must have left it in there on incident." <laughs> I carry a big bag to make me look petite. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know. But there's so much that's warped about her and unexplained. Like, to me, she pushes it to the total boundary because yeah. you're like, in West, particularly at the end when you see them watching her clips that she saved on Abby's phone yeah. because it's like, what is she, like a food fetishist and who is she sending these videos to? Yeah. But it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, that's the end of my talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so we, uh, all, we've got about 10 minutes left, so if you guys maybe want to start thinking of any questions that you have, but my first question is, Penny, you kind of mentioned it, that people didn't really get into the show when you showed it to them on the first episode, but yeah. it was kind of later on, yeah. and um, a lady who was here early kind of was like surprised that all of you guys would want to come and hear us talk about Broad City, because like, she was so surprised that other people knew about it and had discovered it, so I kind of wanted to get a sense from you guys about like, how you found out about it, how it was described to you maybe, because it's kind of hard to, be like, mm. it's like girls and they're like friends and it's New York, but it's not Sex and the City. Yeah. Yeah, like the two shows that 
any show about women in New York will always perpetually be compared to. Mm. Um, I remember watching one of the web episodes. Um, it was the one where Amy Poehler was in it and they're running down trying to get the, 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 the muffins or the cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. or um, yeah. yeah. And, and then I sort of didn't really think about it for a little bit after that. And then I can't remember where I read about... Must have been just been something that trickled down the grapevine. You know, you've got to watch this show. You've got to watch this show. You've got to watch this amazing new show. Yeah. And so I, I watched it, and then I tried. To, well, I didn't. It, like my boyfriend is now a big fan of it, but I had that same experience where I was like, you have to sit down and you have to watch this yeah. show. You're gonna, you're gonna love it. And you're doing that thing where you're like, yes. yeah. <laughs> Do you love it yet? Yeah. Do you love it? Are you yeah, laughing? You're not it. laughing. Why aren't you laughing? Yeah. yeah. And they're just sitting there like this. But then, like, he, he was sort of had that funny kind of feeling about the first episode as well. And then yeah. he was like, well, you know, let's watch another one. And mm. then, then he got really obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, see, I sort of couched it to him as saying, like, you'll love it. It's about these two stoners. And he gets really upset because he thinks that I'm drug shaming when I talk. <laughs> when I mention that people <laughs> use drugs. He's like, let's do a drug shaming thing again. <laughs> um, so I think he kind of probably came into it with a bit like of that sort of weird feeling that I might be yeah. drug shaming or something. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, he really likes it. I did this opposite thing with my housemate, which was unintentional but super effective because my boyfriend had watched the first episode and he's like, meh, I don't know why. I don't know why that fir the first episode has that effect. But then my housemate, who I don't care so much about because I'm not going out with him, <laughs> comes home and I was like, all right, I'm up to this episode. You want to watch it? And he's like, well, is it like a narrative drama or is it episodic? And I'm like, it's episodic. You're going to get it. And the, the episode turned out to be the wedding episode, which is actually so shocking because it just drops you in. And you're like, mm. who is this guy? I even know Abby had a boyfriend. Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Like, I've never heard of this wedding. And so it started and then I stopped it. And I said, you should know that I don't know who any of these characters are. Yeah. Like, you don't either. We're both in the same place. Just go with it. And then he was, he, he, he loved it. Yeah. And so I feel like if you want to introduce someone, you have to get them in on like episode nine, episode eight <laughs> or nine, and then you circle back around. But then yeah. talking about like what you're saying about web shows and the potential for people to make like these really short like vignettes really that capture like an idea yeah. and also ha like it just drops you into this yeah. place with like these fully fleshed out characters. Before everyone walked in, we were talking about this web show that I really love called High Maintenance. Has anyone seen that? Uh, if you haven't seen it and you love Broad City, you have to go home and basically watch every 10 of the episodes of High Maintenance. They're between six minutes and 10 minutes long. <laughs> and it's exactly like that. It's just like this, there's one common thread that goes through and that's this unnamed bike courier pot dealer in New, in New York. And he's not like even the starting point of the episode. It will just be about these people who at some point will call on his services. But you kind of, it's, it's almost like being just dropped down people's chimneys, you know, and, mm. and just like observing 10 minutes in their lives. Mm. And that's what I think that Broad City does really well is that kind of, yeah. you don't really need, to, like you can watch all of the episodes out of order because mm. it's, it's just sort of like being dropped into these moments mm. and seeing yeah. the complete absurdity it's post of it. Seinfeld. It's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, if Seinfeld didn't have a storyline, this has even less of a storyline. It's just... Even less of a show right? about nothing. Yeah, it's even less <laughs> a show about even less. 
Yeah. Do you think that this is something that, like, a, this this generation in particular has been enabled to do in such, like a. Uh, such an in, like an innately talented way in a way that maybe previous generations like Seinfeld generation weren't able to do because not just because we understand comedy in a different way now but also because of all that influence like YouTube and and the idea of short attention spans and the idea of like like Tumblr comedy you know like gif reactions and stuff yeah. that you can you can encapsulate an entire feeling and, and a moment in one picture of like a llama or something mm. like mm. that um, that that sort of yeah. like unlocked this part of creative people's brains somehow that mm -hmm. they can kind of be a lot more cynical about the comedy that they're creating because they don't actually have to like hold people's hands through it because yeah mm. there's something incredibly fearless about well, it yes like you don't even need to explicate it I know that the traditional film school kind of says the worst thing you can do is need to have like a Chiron over mm. the start of your film that says Istanbul, 1924. You know, mm. the audience should be able to understand that from the first scene, but actually this film, this TV making bypasses that first mm. scene and you just have to be going to the wedding with them. <laughs> Amy, <laughs> sort and of like Tina kind of talks about this in Bossy, people who've read Bossy Events would recognise that quote that you read and she also talks about that improv skill of going, improv, good improv is not getting like a starting at A and going to B to C. It's starting at A and going to C or D and assuming that people can fill in the yeah. blanks in between. It's so good. It's so much less patronising. Yeah. This is something good that Generation Y has given the world. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and bye. And bye. And bye. <laughs> but I do think that it does owe, like, it owes a, um, oh, fuck, what's the word? Debt. It owes a debt yeah. to shows like Seinfeld that yeah. allowed for those kind of absurdist sort of, and, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm and Arrested Development mm -hmm. allowed for this sort of progression of that kind of comedy, you know, mm -hmm. where where you could just sort of, it didn't, it didn't have to have ridiculously patronising storylines like Friends. Mm. Ugh. Oh, I know. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Why is that? It's well, there's, like, also, oh. there's also the similarity between, because as we talked about the similarities or the comparisons that can be made between like girls and sex in the city and these kind of shows about women in New York but what we didn't kind of talk about as much although Greta kind of touched on it was like the men in New York who are making these kind of like semi-autobiographical shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm or Seinfeld but to me Broad City is more like Louis where it's like mm. it's these people who are writing like versions of themselves who do things that, that like I think Abby and Alana once said like these characters are exactly them but if they had never made Broad City, like they're them without all their creative potential kind of fulfilled and like they're, they're them without their like success and like, you know, determination. Like them when they were losers. Yeah, yeah. Like they said, like when they moved to New York and they went to NYU and they like never left their square block, like around Washington Square Park. Like they were just too like nervous to like venture until they like discovered improv and discovered those kinds of things. But there's that kind of like, there's that safety in performing as yourself so you don't have to go and like mm. build up these character background stories because it's just you and you assume mm. that people are going to get you. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have any questions? <laughs> or thoughts? Does anyone or have thoughts? a favourite um, overdeveloped side character? <laughs> 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 that I didn't mention? Yeah. 
Garol. Oh my god, just eats yogurt. Garol's not developed at all. All we know about Garol is that she eats yogurt. She has an invisible supervisor though. She's like, my supervisor's here and it's just an empty warehouse. It's very obedient. She's very, she's a a conscientious employee. Um, Garol is messed up. There's also Bevers, but not just Bevers, but his super hot mm. girlfriend. girlfriend. Like, yeah. yeah, I find the super hot girlfriend the character really interesting. So do I, and I wonder if she's going to appear, or whether she just exists. No. She can't, she can never, she's, she's going to appear. What was the guy in my so-called life who was like um, the leader of Jordan Catalano's band, and you just never heard, it was like Tito or something, they were like, oh, Tito's called another band practice, and it was like, Tito didn't exist, you just like, you never saw yeah. him, you do just you know, heard about him. Yeah, do you know who's the most um, boring Side character. Who? Who's the the neighbour? Is it Jeremy? Jeremy. He's beautiful. Jeremy. He does not deserve Abby's adulation. But he's exactly the kind of person that Abby would yes, be infatuated so with. You know. That's so true. Mm. Um, it, it, it's a, not on Broad City, but again, if you like those completely ridiculous side characters, yeah. um, a really good web series is called Catherine. Has, <gasps> has anyone seen Jenny Catherine? Slate. Jenny yeah, Slate. Yeah, it's. Like the first couple of episodes, they're like two or three minutes long. You have to watch like eight of them for anything to happen. I've got to write this down. And like I'll pre-warn that basically nothing happens in the whole eight episodes, <laughs> yeah. eight or ten episodes. But it's it's just this sort of like, it's weird. It feels like it's the 80s. It's like set in an 80s office building. And it's almost like, it's almost got the sort of the vibe of like public service announcement work training place videos mm. <laughs> really really bad acting kind of everything like cloudy yeah. yeah well that's how i going to explain so what it's happened it has an air of menace well <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's very threatening yeah it's, a, it's it's the most mundane kind of circumstances but kind of like given this huge gravitas of importance and yeah, yeah and this kind of unexplained context and you're at the heart of it yeah. But you never get to see anything else that's surrounding you. And you, yeah. ne- you never realise why she's, like, in the very first episode, Catherine calls up her old workplace and she's like, I'd really like to come back and work in the office. It's only ever called the office as well. Yeah. And they're like, sure, Catherine, you can come back. But you never ever find out why she left <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, really quite, like, yeah. ominous yeah. and traumatic. But, um, yeah. So, so. yeah, I sort of, I, I would love to kind of see a lot of those web series crossing over in a way that's not cheesy. You know, like, you know, in old sitcoms when it's like, oh, like in Friends, Brad Pitt's guest starring this week. And it was always kind of the way, that, like, that's when they're sort of going downhill. Yes, totally. Mm. But there's like, a, there would be like an interesting conceit about having these crossovers. Like if the dealer in high maintenance suddenly like turned up in one episode to mm. deal some pot to Abby and Alana. That would be really kind of like a cool nod to this sort of new mm. form of comedy. I think as well, maybe, I don't know if this is sexist to say this, but like imagine in Seinfeld, okay, so Kramer is kind of the prototype of the overdeveloped side character mm. in a way because he's always coming in, he's got some plot or whatever. But actually, if you look at it, the laugh comes from Jerry's reaction to Kramer. Mm. Like if you imagine the scene, it's always Jerry's like kind of, with actual Jerry yeah. Seinfeld trying not to laugh but it's all about Jerry in a way um, whereas like I feel like um, Ilana and Abby are generous enough just to let it be about these side characters which means that they leak out you know and they mm. become bigger like even the lady that rents them the truck mm. you know that she loves Idris Elba 
Yeah. Who's really this Claudette from um, Orange and yeah. is the new black? Yeah. Oh, really? so serious yeah. in that. Is that the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think it's really generous in a way that maybe kind of uptight, like scripted man yeah. humour isn't. It's kind yeah. of like a little bit looser or something. And I it's kind know. of similar in what you were talking about, Clem, with like Abby and Alana's friendship and Abby not being like the cool one, but the show is generous enough for you to just trust that she is, that she is cool enough to like yeah. mm. have these people who are just like obsessed with her and like kind of everyone <laughs> except the people that she works for. Like we never really talked about her job <laughs> yeah. at Solstice. Like the, the side that, character yeah. of yeah, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and how she's so, she's so kind of like, Abby's just kind of like the whole series is kind of like teetering on the edge where she's just like, she'll go and clean the pubes, but you just like, you know, she's going to be like muttering under her breath the whole time. And like, she really wants yeah. to teach a class. And when that woman who she thinks has cancer and then she finds out she doesn't have cancer, <laughs> she's just like, she's about to snap. And yeah. then she yeah. goes out and she like people, she lets people do coke out of her and butt I, crack. I guess the, the flip of that is Alana and her workplace and her yeah. character. <laughs> like, but also the, the woman that sits next Nicole, to her who's like, yeah, yeah clocking everything she's she does. Violently she's violently high. Violently high. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. She's like, it's five pm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the boss, and he's like, you've got to, do, you know, you haven't, you haven't been doing anything. All right, I'll take lunch then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to be transferred to company morale. That doesn't exist. <laughs> She's like, well, it should. Um, are there any more questions? Does anyone think the whole more ending of season questions? one was too cheesy? No. I sort of loved it. But it, it seemed to break character from the visually. The it was cheesy, but they were doing like the Six Flags guy dance and talking about OJ, yeah. like wanting so to no sleep with OJ. Yeah. yeah, I love how Abby and Alana are talking in the hospital bed and, and crossing off the items on their bucket list. Yeah, and like they realise that one of Alana's items has been crossed off because she's been held in Abby's arms. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, then right after that, I think I think what makes it not cheesy is that immediately afterwards you find out that one of her other bucket list items is to one day be Asian yeah. <laughs> or be do Asian. heroin under the aurora borealis. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so yeah be Asian. Yeah. But who hasn't been on a date like when you're kind of 16 or maybe 18 and you've been on a date and you're so desperate? And like your sense of your like outward appearance is so different from the actual outward appearance. But I just that last scene where Alana goes to such lengths against her own like yeah like <laughs> Ill allergy to seafood to be part of that day, like that kind of physical as well as mental. And and not like, just that, like her total, <laughs> like what Greta was saying, her yeah. total faith in her sexual attractiveness. But yeah. <laughs> even as her face is all like scratching her neck, with she's still she's still thinks that she's <sighs> in with John. You know, yeah. she's still like flirting. She's still winking at him. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to put his, her fist in his mouth. And Sexually, sexual. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, oh my god. At one point, she says. He says gross to her face and walks up. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, right. And she's just like, Meh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right, well, if nobody has any questions. Is there any part of the show that we have neglected to oh, celebrate tonight that's amazing? Can we, can we just, can we oh, just what revisit about? just very, very quickly uh, that end scene when Alana, uh, when Abby jumps on the table? Adrenaline! So great. That was like, like a beautiful like twist of like the whole series where Alana <laughs> would just like do anything, like leave the most perfect like pink dick in her bed for Abby. 
and that was just a total twist <laughs> where Abby will like stab herself and carry Alana out of a restaurant and then oh, take her to so hospital slow next motion. to someone who's just like literally dying <laughs> in the bed next to her. Yeah. Oh god, it's so good. So beautiful. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme Channel and the Acme website.